0: Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. And I have to tell you, I was just talking to my guests before this. I went on new medication because you guys know my heart problems and, uh... I went on cholesterol medication, and my stomach's killing me today. I haven't had like a bad stomach ache for a long time. It's like, it feels like I'm back in college drinking a lot. But we have a great guest today. I do want to plug one thing real quick. This is a really good uh, cause. A friend of mine, Dave Baumgartner, is a firefighter. He goes out he uh, fights all our fires in the mountains, and he's one of those guys who they fly the planes, and he's one of those guys that jump down. Anyway, he, gave me, he sent me this uh, link, so go check it out if you can. It's, for, it's at a website called Teespring, T E E S P R I N G dot com slash granite mountain shot, clip, granite mountain hotshots. It's for those the 19 people who lost their lives in Arizona um, wildfires. So go check it out. Buy a shirt to 20 bucks. It's a right off donation. And uh yeah, my friend Dave would be really happy. He's really, he's a good guy. And you know, there's firefighters I do a lot. I, I live in Burbank. And I'm going to tell you something. We get a lot of, uh whenever there's a 411 or whatever the 9911 calls, we get, we get the fire trucks coming with the emergency vehicles, and I live next to like two old folks' homes, so I get this stuff all the time. So go to that website and check it out. But enough about that. We have a man who's on today, a very funny man. He's uh, recommended highly from my good friend Jeff Marty, you've heard me mention. His father was a very big comedian. He's a big comedian. He's got a, he's got a show that travels with his wife, who's a very accomplished singer.
1: We have Sandy Hackett. I like the music you were playing at the beginning. I, I've never heard <laughs> music. That I wanted to go, Oombala! That's,
0: I found that song once. It's some guy named Mike Meyer. It was in the, the bass, and I'm like, what am I going to play? And I just found it, and it, I, it just stuck. And everyone feels like that. They, they think it's going really, to be a seance, or they think they go, we thought we were talking about... Our k- career is not a uh, having a uh, séance.
1: No, that's the music you play when you're going to eat people. Exactly. <laughs> so it's good to have you, Sandy. You know, it's uh... nice to be here. I'm sorry you have a upset stomach on my debut. No, it's all right.
0: I feel better. See, now I'm feeling. Once I get talking, I'll be fine.
1: I'll be good. fine. because I just yeah, I
0: have to go. I have to go back and drop money off to. Uh... I'm going to a Dodgers game on Sunday, and uh, I bought one of those. Group plans, and I don't really like it. Are you a baseball fan at all? Like-
1: I used to be many years ago. I'm sad to say, after they had the big baseball strike, I never really got back into it. And then uh, I became a father, uh, you know, a decade ago and or more, twelve years ago, and that just takes up a lot of your time. And my kids aren't into sports, although my daughter wants me to take her to a Laker game, which okay. she's seven, so we'll go. And now we don't have to watch Dwight Howard. Exactly,
0: exactly. <laughs> that was just crazy. I know I can't handle. It. That's like you know I don't. It shouldn't be top news. Just go. You know, it's crazy. People are like oh, look like at the LeBron thing. No one would have hated LeBron if he had just said, "I'm going to a team." But he made the big announcement and the special, and people sit there and go, "What an arrogant jerk."
1: We forget because these athletes are so large physically, how young they are mentally. You take a twenty year old and give them tens of millions of dollars. They don't know how to act. They don't, right. they don't know what humility is. They don't know. Everybody, everybody's around them. Can I have five minutes of your time? Can I do this? Can I do that? Can I Can I help you? Can I give you more money? Can I, you know, and God knows the women are throwing themselves at them. I mean, you, you you're on a pedestal whether you want to be there or not. And you don't know how to handle these things with humility. You've been great, you know, in LeBron's case, you know, since you've been very young. And you're probably, you know, no one, there is no training ground for, hey, what do I do when I have $50 million right. and I'm not a, a a financial care in the world?
0: Now, I got a question. Uh, your kids. Yes. Are they, do you think they'll go into the entertainment world? My son and- is. My okay.
1: son is. In fact, uh, we just got an audition for him this morning. He has a pilot that's pending. Okay. Uh, amazingly for NBC Universal he did a pilot and it is the only show that they have not definitively said what's going to happen with it a lot of them they say not picked up didn't make it sorry some they say picked up this is the only one Uh, no answer but through the trades and stuff like that as we track this stuff we heard that they ordered three scripts all right so could be now for you it's a Craig Robinson project
0: Okay, that's good. And he's got he just came off the office, so it's a good it's a good came
1: off the office and he's got a big summer movie out that's now. A, that's a very funny movie. That's very funny. I understand. I haven't seen it, but we'll probably go see it. So, it's good. It's he's got an audition at 5 and uh, I'll go home and prep him on that and he's uh he's an amazing singer. Okay. He takes he's got his mom's voice. He's just a a, a super super talented singer. Now,
0: do you think if your father if people know about his father's buddy Hackett, do you think if your father was not in the entertainment world, do you think you would have ever ventured down the road to be in the entertainment world?
1: Well, there are a lot of comedians, as you know, like yourself. Was your dad? You did stand up. Was your dad in the entertainment business? No. So, you know, why did you gravitate to it? I just, I
0: because just, people said you're sort of funny. My mom still learning on his class. I'm just wondering if, if because a lot of this influence. But it did did you think when you were when you were younger, did you always want to do comedy?
1: I, I didn't always want to do comedy. Uh, I, I think watching my dad and spending some time with him and getting to see. How he did things and why he did things. And I was shying away from it. I was going to be in the hotel business. I went to college at UNLV, uh, University of Nevada, Las Vegas, to study hotel management. Worked in every department in a hotel and well versed in, in the hotel and marketing, publicity, advertising, housekeeping, uh, uh, purchasing. I, I dealt cards, I dealt 21. Uh, I worked in the entertainment department. But it, it just, my, my course was probably predetermined. I, I ended up in entertainment.
0: Now, you said you went to college for the hotel tell when did you first start performing
1: well the first time i ever perform, i started performing in school when you start doing you know all the kids stuff but at 11 years old i went with my dad to go do the rona martin laughing show okay and he was the guest star that week and they were sitting around arguing I think we should do it. I think it's a funny joke. I don't think it's funny. Well, you think it's funny? What do you think? I, and I'm just, I'm 11 years old. I just, I'm just a kid, but I thought it was funny. Eight heads turned around and looked at me and went, perfect, let's use it. And I went, uh oh, I'm in trouble. That's funny. That's funny. <laughs> my dad says, they want to put you on television. You want, you want to do television? I said, oh, okay. I said, sure. And they stuck me in, in, on, a, on a table and they put the camera on me. My dad gave me an apple. He says, say exactly what you said. I'm just a kid, but I thought it was funny. And then take a bite out of the apple and freeze and, and just hang in there until we tell you stop. So I did the line, took a bite out of the apple. The, the juice is running down the side of my face. I hear cut. My dad goes, great. They go, print, use it. And I ended up on Rona Martin's laughing, and they did the joke that they were debating about. And uh, then they have uh, Richard Nixon go, Was that funny? And then to me, I'm just a kid, but I thought it was funny. And Richard Nixon, I thought so. And that's what helped get Nixon elected. So I have my little tiny place in history. I, I didn't get to work with him. But that's but, so cool. But I was in there. And the next year, they, my dad was a guest again. And they asked him uh, if I wanted to be on. And he came and said, you want to do some stuff on Ronald Martin's and They'd like to have you back. And I said, sure. And they wrote a bunch of stuff for me to do. Okay. And I did a bunch of stuff. I remember I did, uh, I, I was, now I'm like uh, going to be bar mitzvah, So I'm in the bar mitzvah suit and I got the tallis on and the, the yarmulke. I'm pointing to the wrong things on radio. And uh, I'm sitting with the prayer book and I'm looking and all of a sudden I got like Goldie Hawn walked by, like in one of those little go-go outfits, you know, or Judy Karn or maybe three or four of them. They go by and my head looks up and I follow them, you know. And I put my head back in the book, and I look up, and I go, "Now nah, that's what I call a bar mitzvah present."
0: <laughs> that's funny. Now, now, did people recognize you? Because everyone watched that show, or like, when did people know you as like that kid? I mean, even no. a few times, because you know, it is people remember like one. You can see one thing, and people are like, "Oh my god."
1: Well, you, you never know. No, my, the kids at school. You know, I was telling all the kids at school I was going to be on the first time, and that lasted like that. The second time, I actually did a bunch of stuff. I did a bunch of stuff in the wall with my dad. You know, the wall would open, and hey, buddy, you know, and he'd open, and my dad and I would be there, or he did with me. The door would open, and he goes, hey, hey, son, yes, dad, and we'd do the joke, and I don't even remember what they were, but you know, it was fun.
0: So you did that at a young age, and then now, when did you start actually getting on stage to do stand
1: up? <clears throat> um, well, let's, let's go back Because after that uh, At 15 years old I started high school And I went into uh, My high school started something called, They called Mod 70 And it was where you got to run for classes In high school like you did in college Okay, We were way ahead And uh, my best friend was in this class I walked by, I still needed a class I see him sitting down And I walk in and uh, I go What class is this? He goes, public speaking, it's easy I said, okay, I'll take it. So, you know, I sat with my best friend, and it was a public speaking class. Uh, You did uh, original oratory, extemporaneous speaking. You had to do speeches every week. And the, the coach, the teacher was in charge of the debate team. And then we had to do, you had a choice of uh, dramatic interpretation or humorous interpretation. And I chose humorous. And you had to get a published piece. And I kept hearing about my dad's Chinese waiter, which is what launched him as a stand-up comedian. For anybody listening, my father was a comedian, Buddy Hackett. And uh, I got the album. And amazingly, it's maybe the worst comedy album you've ever heard. Why do you say that? Because there was no audience. It wasn't live. It was in a studio, dry, with no audience, no laugh track, no nothing that's weird I, I, I just think, isn't
0: it, that weird it's just different yeah it's also makes comedy
1: albums good I, 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 want, I want to say to my dad what were you thinking <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I don't know what I was thinking did, did I, you ever I, ask him I, no that's just, I, <laughs> I wasn't old enough okay, to ask
0: but it. Is, that is funny though because you think a comedy album it's like and it must be when do you stop do you sit there you tell a joke and you you know when you're you know, you performing you get less but it must have been crazy
1: right so now I'm actually um, I've written a one man show about my father which goes on tour this sorry Mike Oh, it's not a problem. I go on tour this uh, fall. Uh, we have a, a show about the Rap Act that I wrote and produced with my wife, and I played Joey Bishop. Okay. But I've also written a new show about my father called My Buddy. And we have seven shows booked for what they call the upcoming touring season in performing arts spaces, which is uh, Labor Day to Memorial Day. And this is the first time we've put it out there. Uh, and. Then as a companion piece to it, my wife kept nudging me. She goes, "You got to write a book. Got to write a book. I don't want to write a book. You have to write a book." And I started writing. And I'm about seventy pages in. And I'm thinking of all these great stories about my dad, including. So now I'm in this uh, in this class, and I get the Chinese waiter album, and I play it over and over. And I'm transcribing it because there is no, and it because the album is is published and copywritten, it counts as a published and copywritten piece. Okay. I do that in my class, and the teacher says, uh, "You know, she says that was good." She says, "Now there's this thing called forensic competition. Did you ever do that? Do you know what it was? The debate team."
0: Okay, yeah, well, because we, I mean, yeah, okay.
1: In in high school, in high school, the debate team was forensic competition, but then they had all these other things: original oratory. Wow, I keep hitting this mic. Extemporaneous speaking, um, comedy dramatic interpretation you would do a dramatic monologue and all the things the debate teams were debate but all the speeches were anywhere from usually five to seven minutes they had to be and they had to be published material unless it was original oratory and then you could write on a subject you wanted so she said i think you would do great doing this in the comedy uh uh, category okay So uh, I started working on it more and more, and I worked with the teacher, and then you went to tournaments, and you competed, and I started getting better, and I'm watching all these guys, and apparently everybody had a lot of the same material, just got recycled because you know, a lot of comedians, especially you're talking back in the 70s, wasn't a lot of published stuff. Right. There'd be published monologues, but it wasn't like you could go find you know Sam Kinison model you couldn't even do a Sam Kinison. <laughs> yeah, that be that <laughs> in the uh, or genius. Something like, yeah. Or like Robin Williams <laughs> or Dana Carvey or you know, <laughs> you know any of the wonderful uh, there's so many wonderful comedians you hate to leave anybody out. But um so I did it and I got better and better and better then I got invited to some invitational tournaments and I did very well and then there was the California State tournament where I took first prize. And amazingly only the comedy category did not go on to a national competition. Really? Yeah. That sucks. It wasn't considered whatever, important enough or whatever. But I won the California State Competition as a freshman doing my dad's Chinese waiter. And I would come home and I would talk to him about it. And I'd say, when you did this, he goes, I don't remember what I did. He says, you just, you get into the character and into his mindset and you just have fun with it. And so I started at 15. And then uh, I won the competition. Later that summer, I was back east with my dad in New York. He was working at the Westbury Music Fair. I don't okay. know if you ever worked it. It's now called North Shore. It's it. 3,000 yeah. seats in the round, maybe 3,500. Yeah,
0: because they had one. won, they had won uh, the Philadelphia Music Fair. was like that. The Valley Forge Music yes, Fair. Yes, I, like, I also yeah, worked yeah. There, okay, there with yeah, That was the same.
1: But he had said to me, he says, uh, come to the show tonight, dress up. He says, uh, maybe you'll come down and, and do the Chinese waiter. Uh, and I said, okay. He gave me kind of an inkling. So he's doing the show, and I'm watching the show, and somebody goes, Chinese winner! And he goes, I don't do that anymore. He says, my son did it in high school in a forensic competition, and I gave it to him as a present. We want to hear it! Well, luckily he's here, and maybe he'd like to come down and do it for you. So here I'd gone from the California state competition, I think was at UCLA, and maybe in front of mm, five or 600 people in one of their lecture rooms. Now I walk down the aisle in the round to 1,500 people. Uh, excuse me, 3,500 people. Dad sold out. And he introduces me to the crowd, and he says to me, take the mic and stand in the middle and turn slowly. Because in the in the round, one of two things happen. Either the stage turns or you turn. Right. And because he was by himself, as they call in one, uh, he would just storm the stage. So I stood in the middle and turned slowly and I did the Chinese waiter at fifteen, and boy, if, 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 you want you want something that, that just gives you that bug that you. Oh God, yeah, <laughs> thirty five hundred people, and the
0: thing is, they all paid great money. They're fans of comedy because you getting to see your dad. You're sitting there, and it's like, I mean, that's when that's if you died, then you don't do you don't get a business,
1: right? But I got <laughs> I got you know quality material. I got a guy yelling and do it, and my dad going, I-, I gave it to my son as a present.
0: So that really got you then. You just said I got to be doing comedy. So what what did you? do then how do you get into it
1: next year i went back to the comedy competition um did a uh, had to find a different piece of material um kept doing it uh loved it uh, when i got to college i started getting up at you know little bars and like every comic i mean right. every
0: guy's story is different but the same yeah you're getting up you're doing an open mic you're getting up, you're getting up in a coffee
1: house you're getting whatever. you'll get up anywhere right if someone put a mic in your hand you'll get up and do
0: what's it. what's one of the weirdest places you ever done comedy that you say you know what you sit there and go wow like I know they're like out here they have comedy shows and laundromats. I'm like that you know, I just can't try I can't see trying to get the crowd when they're folding and starching.
1: Um, I've had some weird ones, but I think the most bizarre one was I was touring with the Righteous Brothers. Okay. On their twentieth reunion tour, and we worked in this place called Granny's Dinner Theater in Dallas, Texas, about an eight hundred seat venue. And I'd come out after dinner and do the show and then the boys came out and they were great and then we got booked at a track and we were on the infield and the music was great the righteous right. brothers doing their music but they said you open the show I, I i couldn't tell you today if anybody laughed we were i was so far away from the stands I that's yeah I have no clue if I don't think I got a laugh but I wouldn't have known because I was so far away so don't you he, always
0: do that and you wonder you go what the hell are they like you, you sometimes you sit there and you go a gig or whatever and you go what the hell are these people thinking this is not conducive for comedy
1: it's not I worked one time at the dunes hotel outside by the pool and apparently there was something going on and a helicopter flew over and, it went, and it's beaten off of the towers and I, I couldn't hear myself think Another time I was working at the MGM Grand, they had a theme park out back, and they right. had a, someone, a company had bought the, the, the whole park out for the night, and they had a show uh, where the show was, and I was part of the show, and there was like a 40-mile-an-hour hour wind whipping through the park, and standing on stage, it was coming head-on, and I've never happened to st- <laughs> had this happen in my <coughs> life. It actually parched me so bad, I could not speak. Really? I literally lost my ability to speak, and I had to stop and go get water. And then, um, and it was it was an impossible show to do because the wind was just. Yeah,
0: was just, yeah you can I mean, it'd be crazy. So, so you went to college. You said you went to yes and, and graduated. Then, right, <laughs> but then me too. I have a Bachelor of science of business management, which you know that's doing. Mine's in hotel management. Oh, see, that, well, see, we, we're the same thing. We, just, we probably both hated economics, which was like the boringest class ever. Um, so. You you're gonna go in a hotel. What what veered you away then what got you back at entertainment?
1: Well I was working I'm in Las Vegas, the hotel mecca of the world. Uh, you're studying hotel management and you had to for your hotel degree get what they call eight hundred hours of service in the industry. But 400 had to be front of the house and 400 had to be back of the house. I worked in a kitchen as a a cook's helper in the kitchen. I I cooked on the coffee shop line. Uh, I used to come in at night at 10 o'clock at night and I cracked 2,000 eggs for breakfast in the morning. And I remember the first time I came in, the sous chef said to me, son, son, he said, I want you to crack some eggs. He says, you got to crack these two boxes, and they're 48 in a tray, and there's, uh, I don't know, whatever, (laughs) 2,000 eggs. So I take an egg, and I crack it, and I open it up like that, like you would at home. And he leaves, and he comes back, and he sees me, and I'm on on, like egg 20. (laughs) And he goes, what are you doing? What do you? Do? I said, what do you mean? He said, I'm cracking eggs. You don't crack an egg like that. He says, we need these now. We have other work for you to do. And he takes his hands, and he reaches into the thing, and he has three in each hand. And he cracks six at a time. <laughs> and he goes, that's how you crack eggs. My hands weren't big enough. I was 15 years old at the time. I cracked uh, four. Two and two I got up to. Uh, one and one, and I grew to two and uh, cracked the eggs. But uh, in the hotel business, so then I, I was... Um, Working at the Sahara where my dad was, uh, you know, performing. Del Webb, who owned the hotel uh, and who had owned the Yankees at one time, made him a vice president of entertainment because they wanted to do something else with him. Made my dad. Your dad, okay. Yeah. And gave him a salary, a, 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 a nice salary. And his job was to recruit other acts for the hotel. And... Uh, they had a training program, a, a management training program. So I got into that for the hotel and got up into the executive offices and started working. And uh, I'd walk into any executive's office going, Hi, I'm Sandy Hackett, and I'm going to UNLV, and can, can I do anything for you? And everybody, you know, it's Hackett's kid. You better do something with them, Right. So they all took me under their wing, and they all gave me little projects. And there was a marketing director named John Romero, and UNLV had a relationship with all the hotels. And he said, uh, this is what I want you to do. And he gave me two pieces of paper, and it was filled with a list of things to do. And he said to me, uh, and I came back two weeks later with everything done. And he said, I've been doing this with UNLV for a decade. I've always given this list. I've never seen another student again. No one's ever come back to even ask a question, let alone with the work done. They just disappeared and, you know, said that, well, it was too hard. And I came back two weeks. So he just kept giving me stuff. Okay. Then the entertainment uh, director said, you know, um, I, I went into his office and he said, you know what? It just one day threw me a bone. He says, I, there's an audition. Uh, you handle it. Okay. And, and I did. And the, 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 I went downstairs. I set it all up for the audition. I watched it. I wrote a memo to, to uh, the entertainment director what I thought. And then I said, I'll be happy to do any other. So he kept throwing me auditions. And the off night was Monday night. And I said, if you take all the auditions and put them on Monday night, you'll have entertainment for free. And I'll run it. And he said, okay, let's try it. So it became, it was called the Sahara Showcase of Talent. And it was the precursor to, I mean, now you've got American Idol and, right. you know, uh, the, the other one, America's Got Talent. But before that was Star Search. And where did Star Search find its first half dozen acts? from my showcase. Which really? became it was the Sahara Showcase of Talent. I became the host, producer, and MC, and that's what got me started. And I, uh, when she, when Star Search wanted to find acts, they came to me, and it, at that time it was called Sandy Hackett's Talent Showcase.
0: So you started doing. So you, did you start crafting an act when you did that, or were you just doing more of the MC work? I was or? the
1: MC. Okay, but you know you'd put on. Uh, we provided a band for singers because the union came in and said, "Well, you, you can't just have free entertainment; you got to hire a band." So we hired a trio, and the singers would come in. The the afternoon they'd rehearse their songs and then they'd put them on at night i put on and this sounds like an exaggeration 50 acts in a night how okay
0: (laughs) i'm just thinking also because i used to open a host an open mic night in philly and when we had 25 acts it was that's becoming a pain in your butt getting up on the stage it must have been the longest night for you must have been so monotonous because you're getting up down up down
1: try i did this for 12 years how long did the show last? the show went in, in in the old days of las Vegas we, we we had shows that went till seven o'clock in the morning so you start all but not normally normally the showcase started at eight o'clock at night and went till about uh, two o'clock in the morning still a long I and mean, for an MC, that's a long night oh i I put on you know, usually 20, 25 acts. I mean, in our height, we put on 50. And then I did it in two nights, and I did it in two locations. I did it in in Lake, uh, in Lake Reno on Sunday nights, and then I'd come to Las Vegas and do it because we had the Sahara was in Reno and Las Vegas. And then we did Tahoe. We, we moved from Reno to Lake Tahoe, and I would go up to Lake Tahoe to do it. And you know what? It was... It was perfect seasoning because it wasn't just, here's your next comic. It was, oh, our next singer. And they had to go behind the curtain. There was a little spot. They built a box for me out in front of the curtain that, the, uh, that I stood on. And they'd come out and set up their music with the musicians. They'd have a little talk over. So sometimes it was two, three, four, five, even ten minutes. Sometimes we'd have bands. We had a whole package of reviews. Who had their first performance in Las Vegas at my showcase? Andrew Dice Clay. Really? Howie Mandel.
0: I was just going to ask you if you if you had an acts that you that became big names. How about the music? Anyone come out of that?
1: Uh, well, uh, what's her name? Um, not music, but uh, Jenny, Jenny Jones. The, the, won Star Search the, the first comic, season. Yeah, yeah. won Star Search the first season, and used my showcase to keep her stuff sharp. And, and you know when when Star Search was looking, she won that, and then ended up with her own TV show
0: so you're doing this for 12 years
1: I did it for 12 years
0: that's just I mean it's so funny I mean it's such a long night and did did you get tired of it all I mean did you want to I mean guys I know you branch out you do your own comedy now but did you want to Did you ever get... I mean, sometimes it can be a a little monotonous, I would feel.
1: I was young then. Okay. You know know what that's like? I mean, would I do it now at at this age? Probably not. But at that age, when you were dying for stage time and, you know, I'd I'd learn a joke and I'd I'd have a new joke to tell the next week. And when am I going to tell that joke? And uh, the audience would yell out things and I I had to deal with the people. Hey, when's Bob coming on? You know, and all kinds of things happened. And I, I, I got to be quick and the repartee with the crowd and, you know, where are you from, sir? And... Uh, who you and 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 the room would be filled with everybody coming to see the act that they wanted to okay. see. So it was a great environment. I mean, you, you you know, the comedy clubs also used to be filled back in the '80s. Everybody wanted to go be there and see what was going on. It's it's probably rougher these days, but I haven't been in a comedy it's, club in years.
0: It's <laughs> no, it's weird because I mean, I actually I, I played one uh, a few weeks ago in a casino in Ben Salem, Pennsylvania, which. It's weird. Like out here, the casinos are Indian casinos. Out there, they're just casinos. They're like, they don't, not, they, don't, they don't have a hotel. It's just like a casino. Right. But it was just weird to sit there on a Wednesday night and you're thinking in the middle of nowhere, sort of, and it's packed and you're like, wow. But then out here, you go to a club and there's like four people in the audience. So you're doing that for 12 years. Now, when did did you start branching off into just doing your act? Also,
1: well, they, now I'm becoming friends with a lot of these acts. A lot of them would return. They were using it as a show, not only as a showcase for themselves, but as a, as a workplace for themselves to to get better and 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 work out stuff. You know, from singers to singing, and we had agents and managers come in. I mean, I remember a girl got booked uh, to go open for Rich Little. There was a guy named Kenny Kerr who passed away recently. He had a whole, uh, what do you call? It? Uh, he, Kenny was gay, and he had a whole what, what do you call that female you know female impersonator female impersonator uh, yeah. show and Kenny would be the host of that and and he was wonderful and that got booked. I mean people got booked. that's why the showcase lasted as long as it did and proliferated because people knew that if you did it, you could get a job. And comics got booked off of it. We had a comic and a guy who I became very dear friends with, who lives in Reno, named Tony DeAndrea. And the entertainment department, the entertainment director, loved him and put him in a review in the in the lounge on the other nights called Pinups at the Movies because he did impressions, and the whole show was based on his impressions. Uh, and he'd come out from New York on his last dime, and he worked at the comic strip in New York. He was the bartender there. He watched guys like Seinfeld and George Wallace, you know, grow up and, and be, was friends with all of them and came out. Uh, they raised money for him to come out uh, to, to Las Vegas, and uh, he got a job and stayed. And, you know, a big success story. Ended up, you know, touring with Tom Jones for five years, Rodney Dangerfield for a couple years, Ray Charles. So, you know guys got work and did things and i still to this day i mean when i look over the years that i put on a thousand acts a year uh minimum the, the years when we had two nights running i put on 2000 acts a year so I, I think i saw somewhere between 18 and 20,000 acts
0: it's just amazing it just and just and just it's a great, it was probably a great you know, that just seems...
1: And I still show up places and some of them, You don't remember me, but I did your showcase.
0: <laughs> I, because you think, well, yeah, cause you can't remember everybody. I mean, it's takes like so many people, but people always remember that. People remember... You always remember who, like... I remember, you know, who gives you a break, who puts you on. You, you always remember that. And
1: that's the thing. And what was it like for them to go, oh, I went to Las Vegas and I actually got to get on stage in a major casino hotel. And in those days, I mean, the, the, the celebrities from the showroom, which was right, you know, 50 feet across the casino you know would come in and, and watch for a few minutes or they say can you get so and so on or so on. and so on one time i get a phone call I'm at the mint hotel we moved from the sahara to the mint and the operator calls me and she says uh frank sinatra's looking for you and I go yeah right right <laughs> <clears throat> but he was appearing across the street at the golden nugget and uh So uh, I take the phone call, and I said, this is so-and-so. I work for Mr. Sinatra. I said, okay, what can I do for you? He says, you got a singer coming in name, and I don't remember the guy's name. Uh, And uh, Frank would like to know if you could put him on. Frank's going to come over between shows. And I said, if Frank comes over between shows, I'll do anything he wants. Yeah, exactly. And he says, okay, hang on one sec. Frank wants to say hello. (laughs) So I I hear this voice. He goes, Say, any and i I don't do a Frank Sinatra, I should, but I don't, and I go, yes, sir, I mean yes,, <laughs> yeah, yes, sir, and he goes, any any problem with that, no, no, sir, oh. right, <laughs> and I'm gonna come over between shows. He says, I'll probably be in my suit. I don't want to stay long, Could you get him on right away, Yeah, yes, sir, I'll get him on right away,
0: <laughs> That's amazing,
1: and uh, sure enough, I was standing on stage and the way the mint it sat down, and you from the from the stage, you could actually see out the door. Across because they had taken Fremont Street and closed it off eventually, and you would just walk across. It all became a, 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 you know, just a public area. So I'm looking, and all of a sudden I see here comes Frank, and he's with a couple other guys, and they're all Frank's in his tuxedo. They're walking across the street, and I said, "Change everything." The next act on is whatever this guy's name was. I said, uh, and Frank's looking right in the window, uh, to me and he nods to me and uh, he walks in I put the kid on, I introduce him and I walk out uh, to the back of the lounge and Frank nods to me to come over and I come over and he goes how's the pop? And he and my dad had been friends for years. And uh, it's actually not the first time I'd met him, but I hadn't really had a personal experience with him in quite a long time. So you you never knew what was going to happen in the showcase. And uh, I also remember uh, Brenda Carlin, George Carlin's wife, was casting a showtime, a HBO special for Rich Little called The Great Pretenders. And she wanted to use the showcase to look at all these impressionists. And uh, so she worked with me that week, and she said, I want to see this, this, this. It was actually two or three weeks. And uh, she put on a bunch of people. Uh, Tony De'Andre was one who ended up in uh, Rich Little's Great Pretenders, a guy named Maurice LaMarche, uh, who also did it. Um, and then the last week I said to her, I said, look, I, I do one impression, but could I do it for you? She says, look, you've been very good. I'd be happy to consider it. So I did Roseanne, Rosanna, Dana. Okay. And they end up, she ended up putting me on the show.
0: That's crazy. That's that's so wild. It's just that somebody, Axe, came through there and it's such a great place to work out. Now, when you were a kid, because your dad was in, was your dad was comedy royalty, pretty much, I mean, in all honesty, did you?
1: Not pretty much. I think he was, you know, I mean, at the time I was growing up at the Sahara, he was vice president of entertainment. Del Webb signed him to a deal, made it very public, and they paid him an extra $50,000, and his job was to go out and recruit acts. Um, he was very involved with the reconstruction of the showroom and built it into a comedy room, and it was it was it, w- it was on a slope, so the comedy would just roll down to the stage. Uh, to this day, I've never seen a room or played a room like that that just erupted.
0: Well, the funny thing about your dad was, I remember my parents uh, who were very pretty. Conservative. they When he would be on the Tonight Show, they would just, they would howl. I mean, they would be laughing so hard. Did you meet Johnny a bunch of times? I met
1: Johnny a bunch of times. Uh, Johnny was a, a sweetheart. Uh, I appeared on the Tonight Show with my dad with Johnny. How old were you? Out of New York. I was 15. Okay. And Johnny says, uh, he says uh, So your uh, son is here. He says, uh, what, Would you like to meet him? Uh, yeah, let's do that after the break. And out I came and sat there you know, in the guest chair talking to Johnny Carson. At what 15, are these guys talking exactly. about? He's 15. Uh, it was amazing because I got a huge <laughs> laugh quite by accident. He says, so, you're from uh, Beverly Hills. And I said, that's Hills, sir. I corrected him. And, the, of course, Johnny did a take, you know, looked at the audience. The place broke up. And he, excuse me, uh, Beverly Hills, you know, and uh, – uh, amazingly, and this is almost a—I a, don't want to call it a tragic story—but it's it's an uncomfortable story. In that uh, he said, "So, what do you want to be when you grow up?" And I said, "I'd like to be a basketball player." You know, here I am—I'm white, I'm Jewish, I'm about at this time I'm about maybe five six and 135 pounds, you know, soaking wet. And he says, um, "He says, are you going to go out for your team?" And I said, "I start high school this year." And, and I am. He says, "Do you think you'll make it?" And my wife is, "If he doesn't, we could always buy new coaches." So huge laugh from the audience. Um, and of course, I went out for the team and uh, freshman team, and, and I was the last guy cut from the team. And the coach called me in. You know, he, I was. He kept cutting people, and it was it was like freshman ball. It wasn't even like we were gonna have twelve people. Right. They had like twenty five on the team. And I was the last guy he cut. And he cut me in front of everybody. And he waited. He was waiting, waiting, waiting. And then he called me into his office. And he says, if you don't like my decision, tell your father we can always buy new coaches.
0: Wow. You know, some coaches are just pricks i'm sorry i mean if there's any coaches out there i had a coach like that in football they were just like if if a kid wasn't that good they're just jerks it's like that would to work it's like what are you supposed to be a coach it's like you're you're a coach at cherry hill east football okay it's like why are you being a jerk you're an assistant coach <laughs> at a public school i mean come on right so, but so, did you ever play, go back and play basketball again? You ever tried I, again? I
1: worked my butt off to make the team next year, and that coach was different. He gave me a chance, and 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 I played good. See that? Uh, okay. I, 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 you know, look, that's all I wanted to do so bad. It hurt that I wanted to be. There. But then one day you realize, boy, these other guys are much better than. I am. Oh yeah, well you know you know I always. It's funny you say that, and you look at
0: it, just <coughs> to see the level of how good. Professional ball players are because there were so many. Like we played, we were in division. Big, we played with like Camden High and stuff like that. And these guys were just sick. How good they are, but they never made the pro. So you just sit there and go, how good is like you know a uh, a guy who like LeBron or whoever? It's like they are so so insanely talented. That's like when people go, that guy sucks. And like no, he doesn't suck. There's like what uh, three hundred fifty pro ball players. Right. He's one of them. Out of you know everyone plays. Everyone's played
1: ball. Right, I went to UNLV, and I actually made the freshman team. I was probably the last guy that made the team, uh, and we used to practice with the varsity. And that that, that year, we almost we went to the uh, final four.
0: Was Tark there? Yeah. Okay. That must have been. That must have been. You went to sl- Tark practices okay. and stuff
1: like that. So the coach, um, we went to a game and in Dixie College in Southern Utah, and uh, we're getting just plowed. We're down by 40, and there's two minutes to go in the game, and the coach goes, Hackett, go in. And, and at this point, you know, now having been through some stuff, stuff I've been through, I went to him, Coach, I can't save the game for you now. <laughs> he goes, what does that mean? I said, I'm not going in. He goes, you're not. And he picks somebody else. And then on the bus, he sat next to me and says, I, I think we, you know, you need to move on. And I said, "I think you're right, Coach." I said, "If I'm the last guy on the team, you're going to put me with the 40 down. I can't help." Right, right. <laughs> so I ended up rapping I ended up becoming a trainer and wrapping ankles for the good guys.
0: <laughs> That's just crazy. Now, now, did you love? I lived in Vegas for a year, and it sort of drove me crazy. Uh,
1: what it, drove you crazy about it? Uh,
0: my ex-wife. <laughs>
1: no, I just it was. So it, wouldn't have it mattered where you lived?
0: Yeah, it, was, it was exactly. We lived in San Diego. No, it was. Um, I don't know. It was just. Did you ever feel like there's a lot of culture, but you were around, you were around the show business all the time, so it's probably different for you. Did you, when did you move to L.A.?
1: Well, I grew up in L.A. I went to Las Vegas in the summertime uh, to- Cause your dad would be performing? My dad would be performing and I worked for a friend of his as a lifeguard at the pool at the Stardust Hotel. Then I needed something to do at night cause I was bored and I started working in the kitchen as a cook's helper, cracking the eggs. Uh, two at a time. The, 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 two at a time. They, they, one at a time. <laughs> <started>. at then, <laughs> then eventually started going to um, the, the the third summer. I came back. I went to work at Caesars at the front desk, and by then I decided I wanted to go to UNLV and study hotel management. I loved the town, uh, and and I had. I mean. You, you know you're you're a comic you know that you've hung out in the comedy clubs and watched whoever was hot and coming up i remember some of the boy robin's going to be here all the guy all the comics were in the back watching you know a robin or and i was talking to some guy the other day who was telling me that that was that way for steve landisberg for a while And they said steve was getting up all the comics were in the back going you got to go watch steve and but i because the guy i was working for was the stage manager at the sahara And I used to go uh, every night off and go watch my dad, Don Rickles, Flip Wilson, Ronan Martin, George Burns, Jack Benny. uh, I I can't even remember. Pete Barbuti, Jackie Gale, Wayland Flowers and Madam, the unknown comic. I mean, I watched guys, Johnny Carson, over and over and over again studying. Uh, It was just enthralling to watch the best of the best of the best.
0: Right. I mean, yeah, that is, that's like, that's like a, I mean, they're just legends. I mean, that's like, you know, you can say, it must be amazing. And you get to see them and you, you probably knew most of them.
1: Oh, I, I, I got to meet all of right. them. Some of them I was, you know, friends with or, or, you know, had a working relationship. And then I ended up working in the entertainment department in the, in the hotel. So I, I ended up having a professional relationship with many of them. Uh, I would call or something like that. And the hotel always found these special weird assignments that, you know, someone would have thought was demeaning, and somehow I turned them into gold on opportunities. Uh, Aaron Spelling came to Las Vegas to shoot his original series, Vegas, with Robert Urich. Right. And the hotel they picked for the pilot was the Sahara Hotel. And I get a call from the, 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 the uh, entertainment director one day. He said, come to my office. He says, we're, they're doing this TV show here, and they're going to be staying at the hotel. He says, and you're going to be the liaison between them and us. Take care of them. Keep them out of my hair. Like they were an annoyance. Right. So every day I'd come in, and you know, no emails in those days. You got and barely even voicemail. You know? Right, yeah. It's, you, you know, I, I'm getting calls or paged in the hotel. You remember those days in Las Vegas? Oh, yeah. Paging that's, that's... Mr. Cooper, telephone please for Mr. Stephen Cooper.
0: It's just so crazy how technology's changed. I mean, I always say like Seinfeld would have never happened if they had cell phones.
1: Right. So I did... Anything and everything the production office told me. They would get, okay, we need, we need, what about, we need, and I did, I can't even tell you the things I did, but I was their go-to guy, and I had the town wired, and I found things for them and did things for them. One day my phone rings, and uh, Sandy, yeah, uh, one moment, please, for Mr. Spelling. Mr. Spelling. He says, Sandy, yes, sir, Uh, it's Aaron Spelling. Yes, sir, what can I do for you? Well, I just wanted to thank you so much. We're getting to the end of the production here. And uh, all my people tell me you've been stellar. And I wondered if there was anything I could do for you. Wow. And I went, um, I'd like to get my sad card done. Go to the set tomorrow and see E. Duke Vincent. We'll take care of you. And anything else you need, you let me know. You got a friend. Next day, I went to the set, and I had never done, except for Rona Martin's laughing that I'd been on for two seconds, I had never done film. And we're shooting the scene in the crap table, and I had a line, 52 across the board. You had to have a line to get your SAC card. 52 across the board is 7 across the board. There is no such bet. But that's my my line. (laughs) And we're sitting there, and we're supposed to shoot the scene, and Scatman Crothers is in it, and they can't find him. Where is he? He's halfway across the casino at a real crap game playing. <laughs> and they gotta go track him down and drag him back to the scene and everything like that. And, and and he's mad that he's got money over there. Don't worry, it'll be fine. And we do the scene, then afterwards they tell me, hang out, we still got and we, we kept shooting this thing. They put the camera up high, they put the camera low, they stuck the camera on the table to see the dice coming across the thing. I thought I made a feature film about me. I had no That's idea. That's
0: funny. That's funny.
1: And then afterwards they got like, we gotta go do Wild Sound. Wild Sound, what's that? Oh, you have to go in the back and do the lines again but without all the ambient noise so we have it oh okay and I uh, call my dad and I said dad I made a movie today a movie what do you mean a movie a TV show Aaron Spellman gave me a job I got my SAG card he goes how big a part do you have I said oh I, t- I was there all day I mean uh, the whole film's like about me <laughs> little did I know you know and we're watching the pilot and I had read the script and I go here I come here I come Here! I- there I was that's it funny. was that quick <laughs> but so, I got my sad card thank you Aaron Spell see that's cool that's great so now you know I know you do the Rat Pack
0: yeah now how did that how, when did you start doing that and how did you come up <laughs> with the idea did you were you just always a big fan of the Rat Pack or
1: well you know I'm writing a book about my father I'm about 70 pages in and I keep just putting a thought comes into my head and I go I gotta write a story about that so one of the stories I wrote the other morning and it really as I was writing it it made me realize this probably was the seeds of what started Rat Pack for me. It's the it's closing night of the lounge in the Riviera Hotel. In, in those days, Las Vegas was making all kinds of chases. Of course, Burb America was coming in. You didn't have the mafia there anymore. Everything had to pay for itself, and the lounges were too expensive because they're paying big money in the lounges. They can't even make enough money. So they got the headliner in the showroom. At 8 and midnight, they got the lounges going at 10 and 12, and they decide to close the lounge at the Riviera, where Shecky Green is performing. And Shecky already has a new deal now. This has happened. He's going on to MGM. Okay. So for closing night, at 2 o'clock in the morning, it's Victor Mone is the opening act. Shecky Green is the closing act. And my dad says, Shecky's closing tonight at the Riviera. You want to go over and hang out and support him? I said, absolutely. I'm 18 years old. I'm not even allowed to be there. Right. <laughs> but my dad had taken me when I was, after I turned 13 and was bar mitzvah, I had my first suit. My dad took me out one night drinking and to go see shows all night long. We went to Minsky's Burlesque at the Aladdin Hotel to a topless show. I'm 13 years old with a suit, and the waitress comes by, What do you drink? And they put me in the middle of the booth. And she says, he's too young. And my dad goes, the midget, he'll have a Bloody Mary like the rest <laughs> of us. <laughs> and he took me out. you know. So here we are, closing night, and we get there. And my dad had a midnight show, and he didn't get off stage till late. Uh, and there were some guests in the dressing room, and they came up to visit, and we're talking and hanging out. And finally he says, I'm going over to see Shecky. You want to come? And we all went. they are holding space for my dad. Now, everybody was there the night. Closing night, the Riviera Lounge. Everybody, every entertainer in town is there. And to this day, it's one of those stories that if you talk to someone, go, oh, yeah, I was there. Right, right. You know, there is nobody that wasn't there. So... Vic Dimone gets there, and we're right at the end of Vic's act, and uh, he's got, and I don't even remember who's, so-and-so so got up to guess, sing, so no, sing a song, so-and-so got a song, and his 30-minute set is now an hour and something minutes, and now here comes Shaky, and Shecky comes out, and he does his time, and he's wonderfully funny and hysterical, and he starts introducing all the entertainers in the room. And we're now down to there are only two entertainers that have not been introduced, and I'm 18 years old. And I go, wow, I want to hear my dad introduced in all this. I mean, my dad belongs in the stature of of greatness. He's, you know, he's a headliner. He introduced a lot of lounge acts or opening acts and a few headliners. And and Shecky says, there's two acts in the room, my dad and Frank Sinatra. And Shecky says, he doesn't know my dad's there. And he says, how do you introduce God himself? My father jumps to his feet and he says, Shecky, forget about me. Frank's here. (laughs) <laughs> i think frank sinatra laughed the hardest
0: that is so funny
1: he walked over he embraced my father gave him a big hug they laughed the tears are running down my dad's face frank is crying shecky's crying he gets the two of them up on stage and that's how they say goodnight. and i think that showed me what a what respect frank had and what a decent guy he was and I didn't know to the contrary anything over the many years I've seen all the books and stuff like that but that started me on a course many years later um, the uh, they did a movie about the Rat Pack is that with Bobby Slayton and that? with Bobby Slayton <clears throat> I get a call one day at, at home A well, voice he says hello oh, Neff I said Uncle Joey hey, yeah I said to what do I have the pleasure he says uh, HBO is doing a movie about the Rat Pack I think it would be perfect to play me I said well Uncle Joey wow I'd, I'd love to who, who do I call who do I talk to I don't know. Nobody called me. True story. Called my agent. My agent started fishing around. He said, it's not available. It's already been cast, which was Bobby Slayton. Unfortunately, the project really wasn't about the Rat Pack. It was called the Rat Pack, but it was really about how Kennedy helped get, uh, excuse me, Frank Sinatra helped get Kennedy elected president. Okay. And it, it aired, it got a lot of press, um, the, 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 the Joey Bishop role, done very well by Bobby, who's a, a friend that I know. Um, but it really wasn't about the Rat Pack, it was much more about Frank's helping get Kennedy elected president. And that started me on a course of wanting to, you know, I said, if Joey thought I should play him, I, I want to create something. And I started working on a script about The Rat Pack. And at that time a lot of legends and concert was going on in Las Vegas. All these tribute kind of acts was just starting to come into the the forefront. But no one had a show with four characters that all interacted. And I started working on something like that. And then I heard David Cassidy was doing a show called The Rat Pack is back. And I tried to get him to see me to as the Joey Bishop role and he wasn't interested. So I really went to work and created my own and uh, a lot of years later, it's Sandy's Rat Pack on the web, www. Sandy's Rat Pack. And we have by far the best show and there are others out there but none of them even come close we have original music from my wife's father ron miller who wrote for once in my life touch me in the morning if i could yesterday Me," yester, yesterday
0: now how did you meet her because she's all she's a singer did you meet her performing at a showcase or something or? i did
1: not i had taken over booking uh i mean i've been on both sides of this equation from performer but uh, from being the host at uh, the showcase and being the producer as also the entertainment director at unlv uh, for three semesters brought in all kinds of acts did things went to NACA if you know right uh, that's the National Association of College Campuses of America where uh, you go to buy acts for your entertainment programs um, and I took over in Sun City Summerlin Del Webb's Sun City Summerlin at that point he was long gone but uh, they had a little theater up there called the Starbright Theater 315 seats and it was losing money and I had performed up there a few times and become friendly with the activities director who was leaving and she said call me one day and she said would you come up and see me. I'd like to have a meeting. I have an idea. And uh, I said sure. And I get to the meeting, and it was cross town for me. It's like a forty minute drive from uh, where I was up to Summerlin. And uh, the chairman of the of the uh, Sun city Summerlin is up there. The board president of the board is there. And he said uh, we'd be interested in you taking over as activities director and booking the theater. And I said, well, the problem with activities directors, you got to do. 99 other things besides just right. the theater. I said, but I would be very interested in booking theater. He said, well, it's in the black, and it's doing terribly, and um, do you think you could do something? I said, I spent my whole life in this business, so I'd be welcome to the challenge. Uh, so they gave me some stuff to look at. We made a deal, and I ran the theater for two years. I got it out of the black in 90 days. I mean, out of the red in 90 days. I had it running in the black. And I went from 40 shows a year to 240 shows a wow. year. Wow. I put on close to 500 shows in the two years I was there. And then once the the new girl came in, and I worked with her, and she was great. But they didn't like the president of the board because he was too progressive. You know, all the old codgers, can't do that, can't do that, you can't tell me. And they got rid of him, and eventually they got rid of me. uh, But I taught everybody how to make money up there. That's crazy. It is crazy. They got rid of you.
0: They shouldn't have. And did it do good when when you left? How did it say run?
1: I didn't keep up with it. I, I don't think it did near. It wasn't. They didn't do near the shows I did. But don't forget, I had 12,000 acts from showcases. Right. And once right. I put the word out, I was doing this. And you're talking the early days of email. You know, people now could they'd send me an email. Hey, I've got an act. And, uh, you know, I'd like to come work there. And I started filtering through everything and wanted to make sure we had plenty of activity and gave everybody an opportunity and uh, made it happen. Now for your rap
0: pack, now, how did you get the, the acts for that? Because I guess you have the Frank, you have the Dean, you have the Sammy. How would, did you do a big audition or did you have people you already knew in mind you said I'm gonna put into that
1: role or what? Both. Okay. I mean, and now I've been doing this for a decade in my life. And uh, I had a partner in Las Vegas and they tried to steal the company from me and uh, it was a big lawsuit, it's been resolved. But I took my wife on as my partner. My wife is literally a genius. I, I, I always thought I was a pretty bright guy and maybe one of the brighter guys in the room. My wife is, I think, the smartest human being I've ever met. And uh, she's just super, super smart. Uh, unbelievably creative. Her father, Ron Miller, wrote all these incredible right. songs. She's got a beautiful voice. She produces. She produced our website. Uh, she produces all of our videos. She did a 44-minute film on the making of our show. Um, she's uh, she could listen to an arrangement of something and go, that note is off. Paul Anka has the same ear for something. Um, she's just very smart. And so we started to rebuild the show and retool it and make it much more theatrical instead of a tribute kind of cheesy, mediocre product. And um, I've had auditions in places. I've had auditions across the country. We get submissions. If you're doing the show, you're working somewhere, some guy always comes in. Um, I do a Frank Sinatra. I do Dean Martin. Here's my stuff. Some of these guys I've used, employed, have worked with for long periods of time. Other guys, one guy came to me. We were in San Francisco running the show, and he threw his picture down in front of me. <clears throat> and I was looking down at something. And this picture comes down, and he goes, <clears throat> I'm so-and-so. I do Frank Sinatra better than Frank Sinatra. I took his picture, and I just—I didn't even look up. I just reached up and I gave it to him. I said, "Get out of here."
0: That's crazy. People are like that. I mean, how long have have these people been in it since the get go? Is in the get go? Is the cast change constantly? Or the,
1: the, the guys in my cast now? Yeah. Um, we have a wonderful actor that does uh, Sammy Davis by the name of Louis Velez. Louis has been doing Sammy for twenty five years. They actually used his voice to record. Sammy, to do the Sammy part in the music in the Rat Pack movie for HBO. Okay. Louie has an amazing Sammy sound. He's got an amazing voice. He's just one of these guys. Doesn't take lessons, doesn't anything, just opens up his voice, sounds and looks like Sammy just his lot in life, thank God he does Sammy um, the guy who does Frank in our show now, was in the band in San Francisco, we were having auditions when this guy threw down his picture and the sax player says to me, the bone player does better Frank Sinatra than anybody you've had audition I go, oh, really? He goes, yeah so I said, hey, come here I said, what's your name? He goes, Danny I said, you do Frank? Yeah you can sound like him, sing them? Yeah, can I hear something? Sure When? Now he starts singing my jaw drops. I go, Wow, what a great sound. And uh I said we 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 found one other actor in our search. I was gonna give him, I said, but he's got some off days. I said, Could would you be you think you could learn this to go by next week? He goes, I already know it. I said, You already know it. I said, But you haven't even seen the script. He said I've been sitting there watching the show for a month. Right. I said, you know the whole show? And I start running things out him. Knew it all. Came in the first night, didn't miss a beat, and has been working on and off with me. Why do I keep doing that for seven, eight years, since since 2006?
0: That's so cool. And, I, I, and you're, the show must just get so much tighter when you guys work together a
1: lot. The just, show you just is, know
0: each other on stage.
1: It is a train. It, it It starts and it goes. And the actor that does Dean used to do Joey for me when I wasn't available. But then I started doing Joey when I when I left the other company. Uh, when, when my partners and I split up, and I knew I was going to do Joey. And uh, he said, can I do Dean? And I said, sure. And he's a talented actor, does a great Dean, and he's fun to work with. We've been we've been friends for 30 years.
0: Now, how do you book the shows? I mean, do you, you – We have an agent in New York. And they so they say – and the, people know of your show now. Do you go back to a lot of places, or is it – new cities a lot or I mean
1: it's both um, we're going back to Palm Springs this year we were there a y- year ago in, in March uh, my wife made we actually shot our documentary there in Palm Springs at the McCollum Center uh, and we're going back there to do our Christmas our holiday version of the show okay and that's unusual you know in the old days my dad used to go I mean look he worked in Las Vegas 15 20 25 weeks a year uh, nowadays, you know, you know what it's like. You go to a comedy club and you go, oh, I'd like to come back again. Well, you were already here this year. Right, right. Oh, I'm sorry. So, you know, all of Cincinnati has seen my act. You have a club that holds 200 people. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I, I worked to maybe 1,500 people this week, but all of Cincinnati seemed me. we couldn't possibly have me back. But we work uh, much larger venues. Um, but we've been back. We've been back to Atlantic City a few times. We've been back to a lot of casinos. Where do you play in AC. Uh, last time we were in Atlantic City, we worked at the Atlantic Club, Okay. which had been Bally's, which had been Golden Nugget, which had been uh, a lot of... And we were there right after Hurricane Sandy. Well, that's, yeah. I, I Nobody
0: to, wanted to hear my uh, name on press. Exactly. I, I went to college uh, 10 miles from Atlantic City. So Where? I stopped, Richard Stockton stopped College. Wow. It nestled in the pines. That's what they called it. That was, I think, nestled in the pines. New
1: Jersey is gorgeous, and people don't know that.
0: I grew up there. I know. I grew up in Cherry Hill. I, you know, Fort Lee. Okay, yeah. New Jersey's a beautiful state. And it gets such Gordon. a bad rap. And it's like you're close to everything. You can make New York for me an hour and a half. Philadelphia's ten minutes. You know, it's just it's crazy. So we have a few minutes left. Tell mm-hmm. me a good story. Tell me a good entertainment story that you want to t- that you like telling. We have a three minutes left.
1: A good entertainment story. Give uh, me about you, your dad, anyone. Oh my god, there's just so many. I mean. You know, I'm writing this book about my dad, and I start looking through things that I've kind of forgotten. And I remember he did a movie called Bud and Lou, which was the story of, uh, it was a movie of the week for CBS, and it got great reviews. Harvey Corman and my dad is uh, Bud Abbott and Lou Costello. And it, it debuted, it aired the night, uh, the final night of Charlie's Angels. So it got obliterated. Right. <laughs> but one day, uh, dad and Harvey come home, uh, come into the house, and they say, we're working on who's on first. Could you script supervise? I said, sure. So in the living room, I got the script. They're standing in the front of the fireplace, you know, 12 feet from me, doing who's on first. They got it perfect. I'm laughing. Then Harvey starts. He goes, let's do it one more time. And Harvey starts ad-libbing. So, of course, my dad starts ad-libbing. I throw away the script, and I'm just sitting there watching the two of them. Uh, Harvey, the quintessential straight man. Uh, My dad just, you know, paying attention to what Harvey's doing. They were just working as actors. And it was great. I mean, my, my, the story, the book I'm writing, my, 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 my show about my father, my buddy, will be in Elyria, Ohio this fall. We'll be at the Kravis Center in Florida in January. I'll be in Tucson, I think, in March. Uh, we're going to book more dates. I'm writing a companion book to go with it. We're all these stories. And there's so many. It's just which one I wrote last that I go, I got to tell you that one.
0: Well, that's, that's awesome. You got Now, the website, because we got to like, wrap up. What's the website again, your website?
1: Uh, several websites, sandyhackett.com is me. Uh, a Rat Pack show is Sandy's, S-A-N-D-Y-S, ratpack.com. We are available for booking. We are, there's no show like ours in the country, not even close. We do corporates, private events, stuff like that. And, uh, we'll be, we've got, uh, I think 25 or 30 dates coming up in the fall. Um, and then my buddy, uh, is mybuddyhackett.com. Uh, We couldn't get MyBuddy.com, so it's MyBuddyHackett.com, and that show debuts this fall. And uh, I'm available for hire. And I still do stand-up. Well, I thank you for
0: coming It was a great conversation. Steve, you
1: are very conversationalist. You're a great listener. You ask great questions. And I hope the stomach's feeling better. It's nice to I know. To
0: meet you. It's, all, it's crazy. Anyway, I want to thank you. Uh, Sandy Hacker, check his stuff out, people. I'll go see his shows. For me, you can follow me at Twitter. It's at CooperTalk. Also, my website, coopertalk.net. I have about 175 episodes up on there. Also, if you want to... Hear past episodes on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. Just type in "Cooper Talk" one word. Email me Cooper at Indy One Hundred. It's Cooper at Indy One Hundred. I'd like to hear from you guys uh, tonight, Wednesday. This should be taped the day before, but tonight's Wednesday. I'll be at Bar Lubitsch at eight thirty. It's a bacon wrapped comedy show with actually with uh, Lisa Alvarado and Patrick O'Sullivan, both past Cooper Talk guests. And yeah, come out and then I think November. Tw- I mean November. I'm going crazy. July <laughs> July twenty second. Uh, it's a Sunday night. I'll be at the Ha Ha Cafe. So do the up check me out i want to thank sandy please check his work out keep listening to cooper talk uh get, give donate to that thing i read in the beginning for, for, for firefighters and listen to me every thursday night at midnight pacific coast time on the big daddy Graham show i have a 15 minute segments i'm steve cooper i'm only a sip as my guests and i think i'm gonna try to eat lunch have a good weekend